Welcome to the show, everybody. A little bit of new information as it's coming in. Trying to put together the next Michael Meditations psilocybin retreat specifically for Here We Are guests. I'm trying to keep you guys up to date with everything going on with that. We have dates confirmed for January 18th to the 25th of 2020. I don't have the pricing yet together. It's not available to book just yet, but you can email Michael Meditations or me at the Here We Are podcast. You might be better off doing Michael Meditations because they can answer a lot more of your questions there. But uh, we're still trying to figure out if we're going to make it a, a higher end retreat or more of a budgeted retreat. I, I don't know. You guys can write and see what you'd be interested in. There's usually a couple different price points just um, depending on the kind of accommodations that you're looking for and after. And so I wanted to, the, the main thing was, I mean, this has just been ever since Jamaica, I've, I've just been feeling so great. And it was just such a great way to, to kick off the spring and to meet uh, new friends and have this great time in a uh, tropical paradise. And I was just thinking about how um, brutally miserable I was this winter and how I seem to be more and more affected by seasonal depression each year. I don't know if it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't know if it's because I booked a lot more stuff in like the uh, really harsh climates this year in January. Whatever it was, you know, I lost like months of regular productivity. I was miserable the whole time. It was just not great. And so that's why I'm I'm going to see this is a little experiment rather than uh, so right at the exact time that that started which was like mid January, what if instead I spent that time in Jamaica? Will it be completely different for me? I'm guessing that it will be. I'm guessing that it would be for many of you as well who uh, who deal with seasonal depression and that sort of thing and who doesn't like breaking up the winter with a nice warm vacation. So this was the absolute, uh, you know, I have a great relationship with Michael Meditations and this is the absolute best um, time that I thought it to book it and this is far enough in advance to give you guys some notice and and so it's it's not fully available to purchase just yet but those are the dates that we're working on also just had lunch today with uh whenever you're hearing this but i i just sat down and had lunch with my new partner libro.fm which is the only way to get audiobooks directly from your local bookstore and with offer code here we are you are supporting this podcast you get three months for the price of one that goes to me and then after that if you decide to stay with libro.fm they split their profits with your local bookstore. No one else is doing anything like that. They are just passionate about supporting bookstores. Bookstores aren't out there to make a ton of money, guys. Bookstores, on average, uh, if you own a bookstore, you're making about $9,000 a year 
um, running a bookstore. These are people that just are really passionate and really care about having this in the community. No one's getting rich off this. So this is a great way to support your local bookstore, your local community, uh, to educate yourself. Obviously, I've been talking since the very beginning of this podcast. I mention audiobooks all the time. I'm a huge audiobook listener. It's the same right as any other audiobook company, except you're supporting your local bookstore. So go to Libro.fm, offer code here we are to check that out. More info about stand up science and other stuff coming very soon. Trying to book some stuff around the Midwest for July. Looks like I lined up Cincinnati for. Uh, June 1st and maybe a couple other shows around that area still working on that and uh, I'm leaving Portland had a breakup moved all my stuff into storage gonna try to live on the road for a little while that's what I've been wanting to do for years you may have heard me talking about it on like Duncan Trussell's podcast or other people's podcasts uh, years ago of trying to want to do this back when I was doing the good trip tour well this is my shot so I'm, I'm gonna give living on the road little bit of a chance so I'm going to be filling in a whole bunch of dates soon summer is a slower time for audiences just generally so I don't know how much I'm going to add in the summer but more updates real soon the best thing you can do is join my email list the zip code in there ensures that you get contacted when I'm in your area and regarding that if because people write all the time and like when are, when are you coming to my area well if if it's a city that i haven't already been through and don't already have like an established relationship in and then any venue suggestions even if you don't know have have connections or anything like that um just i i can't um i i don't you know, there's a million areas that I could do stand-up science in. I can take this everywhere, especially if I'm uh, if I'm living on the road. I'm going to have a lot more flexibility. And so, if you know of any venues around like 100 to 200 seats is generally uh, what I'm looking for and and uh, able to fill with with stand-up science. So, if you live near a college town, if you have any ideas for something like that, we've done a lot of like uh, like really some of my favorite situations are like a brewer a brewery that has like a a second room attached to it so it has like a casual vibe but you know like it's it's catering to a demographic that's you know 30 to 60 year olds probably around my age around 40 or so is the average age demographic for these shows so you know it's people that that'll spend a few more dollars on on a good beer and not like want to get hammered and um that sort of thing and more of a casual vibe but still uh, you know chill and having drinks and and that's like that's been an ideal scenario but i'm doing music venues i'm doing small small theaters improv joints stuff like that so around 100 200 seats i'm happy to explore options if you just email go to the here we are podcast uh, website and you can um, contact me with suggestions and we'll definitely i have a whole map with possibilities um in different venues uh uh, that we're putting together and it's a whole lot of work so um, if you want to see me in my area that's something that you can do to have a little bit of uh, control over it is is uh, mention any venue that you've been to that you think would be a good fit they do need to have seating 
Um, some music venues that you've been to that's standing room only, sometimes they do have seats available. Other times they don't. Um, I don't want this to be a standing room only show, so that is the, the one thing that I'm, I'm trying to avoid. But some venues, even though you may not know it, might have seats in the back that they can pull out for folks. So uh, a lot of options out there. So just send me the names of the venues and I'll, I'll reach out and, uh, and contact them. So with all that and the stuff that I'm working on, I hope to see you guys soon and enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a Here We Are podcast. Today, I am in Durham, North Carolina, which I just found out is pronounced Durham. Yeah, there are no vowels. It's just DRM. That's right. Um, well, we're in the Carolinas. You got yeah. to tighten it up the words a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, and, and I'm talking with evolutionary uh, Professor of Evolutionary Anthropology at Duke University. Herman Ponser is joining me today. Thank you. Herman, yeah, thanks for having coming. me on. Oh, man, you killed it on stand-up science last night. One of the best guests. <laughs> no slides or anything. Most no. most guests, they, they got to they gotta do the slides. That's so right. They feel pretty naked without them. And, uh, and you, you, you've done some events like that before. Yeah, I mean, I love talking about science and talking about science in public uh, places like that. And I think, you know, you get a chance to do it in a bar. People have been drinking. You've been drinking. It's just a lot more fun. <laughs> Laid back. I like that a lot. So uh, so let's talk about your work. What do you do here? So I am, you know, I study human evolution and I study how humans got to be so weird and, and how our bodies got to be the way they are. Um, and so, you know, specifically, that's a really broad topic, of course. So I, I focus on how our bodies burn energy. Um, I study metabolism in humans um, and other, other primates, too, uh, all of our ape relatives and other non-human primates. Uh, and I study how things like lifestyle and diet and exercise uh, and evolutionary history affect the way that our bodies burn calories. Um, I had uh, the one thing that really stuck out last night is that we... Did you say we, I forget how you phrased it, we burn as much energy as a blue whale? Well, so that's interesting, right? So if you think about how many calories you kind of account for in the world, right? There's the calories that your body burns. Okay. But then, you know, you drove over here today in a car and those your those calories are on your ticket. Right? I see, I see. And uh, you were sitting in a, in a you know, climate controlled room and those are on us too, right? So that was, you know, no, humans, a human body never could not burn as many I, calories. I was like, well, yeah. I, I yeah, was, too I laid back. Got confused. a little too laid back last night, I guess. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. So, so humans, but each each human on this planet accounts for. If you look, you sort of take I how see. many how much energy is burned oh, daily in the planet, sense. divide by number of people, it's, you get a number of like, yeah, one person equals a blue whale. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. just because we're uh, lighting off rockets and everything else. Right. I, I don't think yeah. that's the majority of it, but no. in my mind, when I think of <laughs> wastes of energy, I just picture rockets shooting into the air. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so how did, 
how did humans evolve the metabolism that we have? Because it's it is quite a bit different than yeah, other that's right. So humans split from chimps and bonobos about seven million years ago. Um, they kind of go one way, we go another way. This happens in Africa uh, again about seven million years ago, and then for about five million years, we're just bipedal apes. We're walking on two legs, but otherwise very apey. Um, and then around two million years ago, two and a half, two million years ago, um, you see this big sort of sweeping changes in the way that uh, hominins, which is the group that is our lineage, uh, the way they're getting their food. So we see more meat in the diet, lots more stone tools. You see butchered bones in archaeological sites, and you see brains beginning to get bigger. Um, you know, there's more physical activity because you have to be more active to get meat in your diet because there's a lot of plants in the landscape, but there aren't many, not a lot, of, a lot of meat on the landscape. And so all these really big metabolically expensive traits kind of you know, begin to, to take off. And that's, that's the evolution of the genus Homo, right? That's that marks, you know, both like in the words we use, cause we're, you know, you, you and I were Homo sapiens, right? We use the genus Homo to mark our group. Um, and that, you know, that Homo means us, right? So that you sort of like both in the words we use, but also in the traits we're seeing, that's the jump. That's the, that's the change from, you know, being ape-like to being us-like. Uh, and, all of those changes are really metabolically expensive. So brains are really expensive and being active is really expensive. We, we have more babies more often than the other apes do. That's really expensive. And so what, you know, my research in the last couple of years has looked into, well, how did we do that? You know, because usually if you see a really expensive trait evolving in a species, there's always a trade-off. So something else gets smaller or less, but there's, we don't seem to have any trade-offs. And so people have been puzzled for a long, long time. Like, how did that happen? And um, so we went out and measured energy expenditures, metabolic rates in you know, chimpanzees and bonobos and gorillas and, and orangutans. Nobody had done that before, um, compared it to humans. And what we found was you know, kind of surprising, which is that humans had just have really fast metabolic rates. We've just ramped up. You know, we've turned the volume knob way up on how many calories our, our cells can burn every day. Um, and that's how we afford it. We've just, you know, we just radically changed uh, we're the gas guzzlers, man. Yeah. So there, there, we had no trade-offs at all. I mean, you're making it yeah. like, oh, we're pretty great. Us, yeah, us well, humans, so, so we don't have right, any yeah. negative. What about like olfactory uh, senses oh, or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, there had to be a yeah. couple little So a few things happen. So, I mean, for, for one thing, like my back sucks right now because I have like lower back issues and that's probably from being bipedal. That's a trade-off, right? Sure. Uh, you know, olfaction. Humans apparently are better at smelling than we think. There's a, like, I forget the guy's name who studies, he has like undergraduates climbing around in the grass and he like drags a rotten steak through the lawn and they like have tried to find it with uh, blindfolds on. <laughs> you should look at that guy. What? Yeah. Yeah. Not, that's all I'm going to say about it. But it, people are studying olfaction in humans as well. It like turns out <laughs> your, the shape of your nostrils tell, like, helps you figure out. Like, you know, you're sitting around and all of a sudden you smell something weird. Yeah, and you and can somehow, smell in stereo. Yeah, and somehow you know where it came because from. Because you have erectile tissue in your in your nostrils yeah. that adjusts the yeah. uh, the size of your nostrils in different yeah. times. Yeah. And then there's uh, the, the also, you, you know, when uh, when you have a cold and like one of your nostrils works and the other doesn't. Yeah. I guess it's always oscillating between those two because because the, uh, the way that the... The, the way that the air 
molecules or whatever are received by our olfactory senses. Some of them are easier to detect when they're at a faster speed, and some of them are easier to process at a slower speed. And so you always have one nostril that's a that's a little bit, and it and it switches like every fifteen or twenty minutes or so. That's yeah. So it's just highlighted when you have a cold. I learned that today. Yeah, once in a while I get to teach a scientist (laughs) something. It's one of my favorite things. It's it's probably going to be the only time that that happens during this podcast but you got one okay that's that's good that's good uh, so other trade-off so uh human so our guts are smaller so this is why if you go to a zoo and you look at you know the chimps or the gorillas or whatever they look like these little pot-bellied oompa loompa things and it's they're not fat actually that's because they have these really big digestive tracts because they eat you know all leaves and fruits and so it takes a lot of gut to digest this really fibrous food humans don't have that so um, that's a trade-off. I guess we have smaller guts. Um, and you know, but so another big trade-off though, is that we get fat, right? So we, we have these really high metabolic engines. We burn lots of calories every day and the risk, you know, there's a lot, there's reasons that other animals can't do that. Right. And other animals can't do it. Cause first of all, they can't get the calories reliably. So humans have a lot of kind of behavioral tricks to do that, like sharing. But secondly, you put yourself at risk because you can't just shut it off. And so you have this high metabolic rate and you go for a while without any food, you die. Um, you put yourself at high risk of starvation. And humans, um, our backup plan is to just get fat. That's what we do. And yeah. so we get fat better than any other ape in the, in the, on our earth today. But is that, I mean, has that always been the case? That that seems like it isn't that a little more of a modern issue than it was in our so, uh, evolutionary yeah. past with within hunter gatherers or were right. hunter gatherers also getting- so so hunter gatherers get fatter than apes do. Uh-huh. Um, so I work with the uh, hunting and gathering groups in um, in northern Tanzania, and we've got collaborations with, with uh, populations of hunter gatherers and and um, and farmers in South America too, and, and other parts of the world. And what you see with those groups is that they put on, you know, 20, 25% body fat, which would be low. That'd be pretty healthy for somebody in the U.S., um, but would be high for an ape. So a chimpanzee in a zoo, for example, only carries about 10% body fat. That's the same as an Olympic swimmer, right? And they're just being lazy, you know, eating their whatever they eat as much as they want at a zoo. Um, they're not getting fat. So, so hunter-gatherers don't get fat like we do in the West, but they still get fatter than other apes do. And, um, and they don't have any problems with it. They don't have the kind of metabolic issues like diabetes and cardiovascular disease that we do because uh, they don't get overweight. But we just in- inherently carry way more fat, like you know, twice as much easily mm-hmm. as other apes do. Hmm. How, uh, how do you... I, I mean, it is... If you were building a robot, you certainly wouldn't build this into it where it can store a bunch of energy and then like pack on pounds to keep more energy and more than it needs. And then it's a, and then it's a, a it gets to a situation where it has more right. energy than it's ever going to use. It's too bad that you can't, that there's no like signal where we can say to our fat cells, like, hey, we have refrigerators. Yeah. Now. Like, <laughs> We're, we're not going right. to starve. We don't need to keep all of this storage right. on our bodies yeah. all of the time. Yeah, there's it, no, no, yeah, not, nothing like that. It, it seems like it, it, there's there's all of these um, kind of evolutionary holdovers, these things yeah. that, that used to be a bit more useful than they are in our now modern totally. environment. I mean, the other thing is, though, with that, like, it's really hard to overeat 
if so you go to go to a hunter gatherer camp and i don't know if you've been to a hunter gatherer camp before um but you know the 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 menu is pretty grim Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it isn't like nice, uh, not a lot of snacking going on. It's a lot of berries and tubers and meat. What about the dessert menu, though? What's that look like? Yeah. Well, they eat a lot of honey, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, you know, but they'll eat enough. They'll eat more honey than uh, than you could imagine, like like a like like a glass of honey. It's, which is also kind of gross after a while. Like how much honey can you possibly <laughs> want to drink? Um, so, you know, they don't overeat partly because they have, you know, they're, they're so. you're OK, so your, your brain actually does a really good job of shutting off how hungry you are after you've had enough to eat. And there's this, uh, it's leptin, ghrelin, cycling. So ghrelin is this hormone that your body produces that makes you hungry. Leptin is this hormone that your fat actually makes. It says, okay, we're cool. We got enough. And mm-hmm. so ghrelin makes you hungry. Leptin makes you feel full. It's more complicated than that, but that's that's kind of the cycle that we go through. That, that's uh, how. That's just how satiation works. Exactly. The, nu- the nuts and bolts of satiation. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but somehow, you know, in the U.S. and other parts of the world that are that are having this obesity epidemic, um, we have flooded our world with foods that don't trigger that same shutoff mm. valve. Right. So, like, you know, the, like the you know the the potato chip. What's the company? It's like you can't have just one. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's like, oh, gosh, that's so nice of you. I, you're right. I can't have just one. <laughs> and it's like, no, that's a threat, actually. <laughs> you can't have just one. <laughs> Once you pop, you can't stop and you are going to die. <laughs> that is, I, I'm like, as we're becoming more mindful as a species, yeah. we, I'm sure that's how we will look back on a right. lot of those right. ads. Like, oh my yeah. God, what were we yeah. doing? What it's going to be like those old for? ads, like, you know, four out of five doctors smoke camels. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I once was, uh, I, I helped, I may have told this story on the podcast before. I'm not sure. But anyway, I helped out my uh, grandpa was running some auction and I was helping clean out some old attic in a place and I found an old, old pack of cigarettes <laughs> that were for um, asthma. They, they, were, <laughs> they were a treatment for asthma and here's right. what made them medical. Uh, they had no filter. Nice. Like where other nice. <laughs> cigarettes oh, have yeah. a filter, they hollowed out the filter, therefore that's right. great for asthma. No, that's right because that's what, that's what gets you. <laughs> that's what makes you sick is a filter. <laughs> I, I mean, that is, we're in such a tricky yeah. place as a species because we have all of these, let's even just talk about our taste buds, our our, yeah. our taste preferences right. for things that are now with our modern technology where any company can get in there and hijack and yeah. and make this yeah. kind of super saturated reward, if that's the yeah. right way of kind of phrasing yeah. it. and. And I, I mean, are we are we going to be helpless <laughs> against? This? I don't know. I mean, you know, so like the the common experience is you go out to dinner and you ate, you know, you eat way too much because it tastes great. And you're like, I couldn't possibly eat dessert. Oh, I better look at the menu. Yeah. And then you look at it, you're like, okay, I'm gonna have dessert. And it's because you've had this savory, you've had like this salty, fatty dinner. But your brain's like, well, you know what hasn't happened yet? I haven't had sweet yet. Yeah. And so you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, I could have some chocolate. And then, you know, like, I, you know, the dessert stomach phenomenon, that's not an extra stomach. It's the part of your brain, like, we haven't, you know, we haven't hit those those satiety buttons in your brain for sweet yet. We've hit them all for salty. So, you know, restaurants, even, even if you didn't engineer your foods, which is its own problem, you know, we have these environments where you can go to the shops and buy whatever you like, and, and you can get 
fat on healthy foods too. Right. If you can pick and choose like, oh, I've had as much savory as I can. Let's try sweet for a while, you know? And, and it's, it's really hard to manage that. Right. Um, but even still on top of that, like yeah. uh, a creme brulee is going to win out over a cup of honey uh, yeah. any yeah. day in for terms sure. of like when you are after a sweet thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I kind of think we're, I, I, I really <laughs> hope we're not, but I kind of think we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, who, who knows? I mean, evolution takes a very long time to, to take place, but I have my family, mm-hmm. um, my whole dad's side of the family is the skinniest people you'll ever right. see. I, I'm insane. I'm, I'm almost 6'4", and I'm like 165 pounds, and I yeah. eat whatever I want. There might be selection pressure in the, in the yeah. future. Well, the way that has to happen is you have to go and have a lot of kids. I know. Yeah. And that's not going to or, happen, Or, you know what, the thing is you also could just be a sperm donor. Yeah. You just yeah. got to get the genes out there. You don't have, doesn't have to be yeah. the traditional way. You know, we can support uh, alternative things. I, yeah, I've weighed the same since college. Um, I'm the same as you. I'm a six, six or six, one, 162 or something like that. And I don't watch what I eat and my wife hates me and I don't know what it, <laughs> yeah. and I don't know what it is um although I'll say this like I've never been a sweet tooth kind of person or like you know I've never I like the idea of you know oops I ate a pe- a whole large pizza like that's never happened to me yeah. um so I just maybe, eat candy that's my that's yeah my that's interesting candy yeah I'm a pretzels and beer guy so when you were talking about um these these periods of time uh, i think you said around two and a half million years mm-hmm. ago <clears throat> started introducing more yeah. meat in our diet our diet started changing what is how are how are you determining this what, what what's the uh the evidence yeah that- it's, uh, so so reconstructing diets for things that aren't alive anymore you know the fossil record is really hard so there's a few areas of you know a few kinds of evidence you can have one is uh if you you know the teeth of the animal that you're looking at tells you what it ate. Um, but the other thing, what we have for humans um, and hominins, I should say, because we're not, you know, so humans, homo sapiens evolved 300,000 years ago, but this is a phenomenon that's happening earlier in our lineage. So we call that whole lineage hominins is the technical word. So, so these hominins two and a half, two million years ago are butchering big animals like zebras and antelope and big things. And they're butchering them with stone tools and we see the cut marks from that butchering uh, still, you know, there's still these scrapes and gouges from that. So it's actually really nice direct evidence that, uh, that, that, that's, that's part of their diet. And mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're sure they're eating a lot of plants too. So it's not just meat. Um, you know, you get a lot of really strange, yeah, a lot of strange interactions on like social media about people who want to talk about the evolution of diet when you get into this business. And, um, there are people who are really sure that we've been vegetarians forever. And there are people who are really sure that we've been like carnivores forever. And the answer is, you know, we've been eating this mixed diet for the last two and a half million years, and that's never satisfying to anybody at all. Mm-hmm. But it's true. Uh, well, I, I'm satisfied by okay. the truth of it. One, so there you should you be are. louder on social media about diets, maybe. <laughs> your, new, your new calling. Um, well, I, I don't have anything to sell diet-wise. Well, that's the problem. So that's, yeah, that's, that's the problem. part of it. The, yeah. There's not a lot of incentive. Yeah, I, don't, exactly. I don't have a horse in the race. Um <laughs> Persistence hunting—that's oh, that's yeah. something that I just found out about recently. Yeah, and it uh, it blew my mind that this is it's this a thing. is a big part of our our ancestors' past. Yeah, can, can you explain? Persistence? Yeah, so for people who don't know, there are um, a number of cultures that we have you know historical records of. Um, not too many do it anymore, but uh, that that uh, hunting and gathering groups that would hunt 
by running down, you know, an antelope uh, in the heat of the day, you know, typically it's sort of in a dry savanna environment, grassland, and just run the thing down until it, it dies of heat exhaustion or like falls over heat exhaustion. You walk up and you poke it with a spear. Um, we call that persistence hunting. And there are a few groups that do it. Um, and it's, there's an idea Actually, my old advisor, Dan Lieberman, has sort of re, you know, reinvigorated uh, this idea recently um, that, that, that that's been, you know, that was like a fundamental change that all of our genus, the genus Homo, does and did and it like completely changed the way that our bodies work. Um, and what he's basing that off of is the fact that humans are exceptionally good endurance athletes. So, you know, we can stay up with like dogs and horses and, you know, run hundred mile races and that kind of thing. We, we suck it as sprinters, but we're actually really good long distance runners. And, and, um, and so, so yeah, that's this idea that, 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 that hunting that we're seeing, you know, those butchered bones of two and a half million years. Well, how do, how do we kill the zebra? And, you know, his take is that, well, we ran it death, we ran it to death, you know, in the, under the heat of the African sun kind of thing. Yeah. Because we can sweat and cool ourselves yeah, down. And, that's right. And... We're these gross naked things and, uh, <laughs> we sweat more than any other animal on the planet. And that's, you know, so the idea is that that adaptation goes all the way back there. I'll say this about that, which is that, you know, humans absolutely can persistence hunt. And I'm sure that that's been really important in a lot of places over the globe in the last two million years, but other groups don't persistent hunt. Mm-hmm. So the group I work with, the Hads in Northern Tanzania, they walk a lot. They rack up like, you know, guys will go 10 miles a day. Women will go six miles a day. Um, and it's like hilly, rocky terrain. It actually would be pretty hard to, to run on. Um, and so they are endurance, you know, they, they are endurance athletes, these guys, but they never run. So I'm not convinced that running has to be like the thing you do, but it is absolutely true that, that endurance, you know, activity is the thing, is the thing that humans do. Apes are lazy, right? All of our other, our ape relatives are like lame, hmm. right? I mean, they're cool, but they're, they're lame uh, as, as athletes. They climb really well and they're really powerful. Um, they're like 10 times stronger than us. They'll rip your arms off and rip your testicles off and that kind of thing. Um, they go for the testicles They go for every first. time, cover up. You're gonna die anyhow if you ever get in a fight with a J8, but um, but you'll die with your testicles on. Yeah. So I think if you had to go, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> um, rip my head off clean first, right? Ape, please. Yeah, and then do whatever you will. Yeah, with the testicles. <laughs> yeah, there's these really grim uh, stories and, and photos now, uh, you know, accounts of, of of researchers going out and. The apes are like, you know, the chimpanzees are on a territory. They're the very territorial chimpanzees. And they get the, the males and even some of the females kind of like get up in a line and they walk silently. It's like, you know, one of these 1980s combat Vietnam movies. And they're like creeping through the jungle along their territorial edge. And if they find another chimp from the other neighboring community that's wandered too close, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll rip it to pieces. Yeah. And it's like horrific. Yeah. Um, and they go up and they look at the dead body and every time testicles are gone. <laughs> <laughs> Like, wow, Ooh. that is tough stuff, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, I mean, if you want to hurt somebody. That's right. That's uh, right. And I, what I think that tells you is like, they, you know, imagine, um, you know, that kind of theory. And, of and it's, it's now we're like worried about like microaggressions. Like, <laughs> like that's our, that's our modern day yeah. Uh, yeah. threat. That's right. It's yeah. like, uh, this, that person was passive aggressive towards me. <laughs> We've really yeah, come a long way. We really have. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Gosh, yeah. 
Not not like testicle aggressive. That's <laughs> no, that's a whole different ballgame. Very game. different level a ball of aggression. Game. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, I forget well, where we were going with and, that. Well, and I I have we were talking about the persistence hunting. Oh yeah. And I I think it's uh, it's interesting that these other yeah, the zebra or whatever has to stop and pant. Yeah, and so they yeah. have to stop. So you you're a human. You spread out, and you can just kind of keep them on the run until yeah. I guess they just eventually just pass out and fall yeah. over or something. Yeah, or, or, I mean, there's great video if you sort of Google this. You know, persistent hunting. There's a great David Attenborough. You know, and here he is chasing down the kudu. The kudu's got no chance in the in this heat. He's got no chance. You know, it's like this really dramatic thing. And the San guy. Yeah, these three San guys who are, you know, they're, uh, they're, you know, it's a short statured population. So these guys are like five foot three, a hundred pounds, and they run this enormous kudu down to death. And and at the end, the kudu is just like laying there in a mess. You know, if you've ever, if anybody's ever had like heat exhaustion from working out in the sun, you realize like, oh, I have to sit down now. Like I, yeah. I'm going to fall down now. That's what they've done to this kudu. So are there so we have this great uh metabolic rate mm-hmm. and then there's there's all sorts of like i just had a sloth episode oh nice recently and sloths are just they're hardly using any energy that's right they yeah they're just hanging there yeah and not moving their bones are structured in, in and yeah, in a way that they can just hang and, yeah. without without really using any energy at all they they climb down trees just to poop for some reason that's, that's what strange. i understand that's what i understand you can just yeah. poop from the tree you would think but there's some sort of trade-off that they don't fully understand yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. anyway but there is uh <laughs> the sloth that doesn't understand it or the people don't understand it people don't understand why sloths are oh there. right like the researchers there's there's like there's moths that live on the sloths that go into their uh excrement when they they climb wow. down a tree they make a little hole uh-huh. the moths lay their eggs in the sloth excrement and then and then hop back on the sloth wow. and so it seems to be helping the moths that the sloths go down and do that but then right. what benefit unless the moths are somehow benefiting the sloths in some way which there might be like some algae sort of thing that, yeah. that they're getting into that the like moths a... are eating and so it's this whole symbiotic yeah. thing but they have like little they have little bathroom stations like they have a very specific set of trees yeah. and they climb down like they don't just use any tree and they climb all the way down use a ton of energy anyhow uh what i wanted to talk about is how that's the second thing i've learned today by the way i knew they i knew they came to the ground to poop but i didn't know about the moth the moth connection yeah yeah um and so so this is i I mean you said lazy earlier yeah um other people might say exceptionally efficient yeah Um, well they're smart i guess right yeah yeah, i I mean i I like to think of myself as efficient. My father <laughs> says lazy, um, but um, I are there any other species out there even close to what we're doing metabolically? Um, oh, well, so here's a funny thing. So all primates, including humans, because we're primates, we actually our metabolic rates are all shifted low. So okay, so the primates split from the other mammals about 65 million years ago, right? That's a long time. Right after the dinosaurs um, go extinct, or maybe even a little bit before, we kind of branch out from the other mammals. And then we flourish as a radiation. There's 200 some species of primates today. And all of them are what we'd call hypometabolic. We all have low metabolic rates compared to other non-primate mammals. Um, And so, uh, right. So we burn, primates, including humans, um, burn about half the number of calories you'd expect every day 
for mammal our size. Mm. So, you know, carnivores, ungulates, um, rodents, uh, pick, pick your mammal group, um, except for marsupials. Marsupials are also strange in their own weird way, but that's a different discussion. But primates are, we burn half the calories you'd expect. So, you know, a human burns about 2,500 calories a day. Uh, that's typical. Um, actually doesn't matter what kind of lifestyle you live. You're going to burn 2,500 calories a day. And, um, and a typical mammal our size would burn 5,000 calories a day. And humans actually can't do that. A normal sized human can't keep up 5,000 calories a day indefinitely unless you take drugs, which is why Tour de France cyclists take drugs. Ah, yeah. you get the, the the double blooding and the, yeah, the that whole sort thing. thing. That's right. Yeah, I, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. So, so are other mammals like? Are there other mammals that have metabolic rates as high as us? Yeah, because you know we're like we're high for a primate, but we're still low to, compared to most other mammals. Hmm. Yeah. So what kind of uh, what kind of studies are you doing? How are you, how are you actually like? Yeah. So the the the, the f- thing that we like to do um, is we like to try to measure energy expenditures in as naturalistic a situation as possible. So if we want to understand how hunter-gatherers burn calories, then we go to a hunter-gatherer population and we work with them and when we measure that on site. If we work with apes, we'll work in sanctuaries in Africa or Indonesia, or we'll work with really great zoos in the U.S. that have these big open enclosures so that you know, we're getting as, as close as we can to a naturalistic situation. Um, and we use a technique called uh, doubly labeled water. So this is a really expensive but really precise way of measuring how many calories you burn. We, uh, you drink um, like a half cup of, uh, of water that's enriched with oxygen 18 and deuterium. So, wa- so water is H2O, um, but the water in this stuff, some of the H's are deuterium, some of the O's are O18 instead of O16. That's that's the deal, and then we can use those to, we can use those isotopes to track how your body um, sort of flushes through its water, and also how much carbon dioxide you produce by tracking the amount of those isotopes in your urine over like a week. Mm-hmm. So it gives us a really precise measurement of how much carbon dioxide you make, um, and you can't make carbon dioxide without burning calories. You can't burn calories without making CO two, and so it's like almost as good as having you here in my lab, you know, with a mask on. But you're out doing your normal actual life, which is what we want to know about. Um, and so that's when we measure. Yeah. So any of the measurements I'm talking about now with, with apes or hunter gatherers or you know folks in Durham or wherever, that's the technique we like to use. Hmm. Uh, so you just have them drink this water. Yeah. And then. So how do you get the measurements after that? Yeah. You need pee samples. So what we do is, uh, uh, I mean, if it's, a, if it's a person, you just say, hey. I'd like some pee samples and yeah. please drink this water. And that's yeah. usually cool. Yeah. It's, it's what, <laughs> what you get accustomed to. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. You know, like, Oh, you need me to pee in a thing and then hand yeah. you my own urine. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, No problem. No questions asked. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, yeah. Uh, we compensate them for their time and energy. <laughs> um, hey, how much do these bottles of water cost you? Oh, it's, it's too expensive, man. It's like a bottle, like a dose of double labeled water for somebody. Um, it's, $40 it's more. More than that? Yeah, it's like four hundred dollars. Oh man, yeah. this is like there's gonna be uh, there's gonna be uh, uh, this is we could market this to yeah uh, to really like, wealthy fancy people. restaurants. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Would you like and, still or deadly labeled water? <laughs> 
Oh, double label, please. <laughs> it's it's six hundred dollars for an eight ounce cup. Yeah. You're not going to taste the difference no. at all. Does it taste any different? Not, no, not that's part all. of the sales pitch. Yeah. Doesn't taste any different. Yeah. It does things that aren't useful in any way if you're not if you're not no. trapping your urine and That's giving right. it to a scientist. It has zero benefit to yeah. you. You're just spending a lot of money on this thing. That's and people winner. will buy it. That's a winner. Guaranteed. <laughs> Conspicuous consumption. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> What about these? What about these big brains of ours? Uh, what, right. What, what's going on with the the? Because it seems my brain, right, which is pretty proud of itself. It <laughs> it, uh, it goes. It seems like if you ask my brain, like, what's the point of a brain? My brain's like, well, come on, this this intelligence stuff. Look at how useful it is. It's yeah. just terrific. Look at how smart we are. Right. We can do all these sophisticated things. But there's certainly uh, an energy trade-off with the large brain. How, how much of the human energy is used in the, isn't it like right. 20% or something as you're like si- that? As, you were, as we're sitting here um, chilling out, it is 20% of our energy expenditure. So, you know, the oxygen from every fifth breath, that's not how, exactly how it works, but that's how it would end up working. Do you, let me ask you, you might not know the oh, answer yeah. to this. Does that fluctuate? Like right now, I would say I'm, you know, f- firing a little, a, a little yeah. faster than normal. I gotta yeah. like come up with questions and that sort right. of thing. You I couldn't tell. You intent. couldn't tell. But <laughs> it's here you are. Of, it's because my <laughs> questions aren't that great. But but uh, I I gotta sit here. I gotta uh, I gotta really focus. Yeah. And maybe I'm coming up with a fun sloth fact or something right. like that. Yeah. This is uh, a lot more active than say um, watching um, the. Uh, oh, what's one of the dumbest things that I watched um, recently? Oh, The Punisher. I watched the first <laughs> season of The Punisher. I have no wow. idea why. I was yeah. like really burnt out and I needed something dumb. <laughs> it was dumb. It delivered. Mission accomplished. Um, yeah. But uh, is, is there... Is it still roughly about twenty percent, or am I using like twenty five now and fifteen when I'm when I'm watching TV? Is yeah, there much no, fluctuation? there's no hardly any. So they've done this work. Um, the best studies of this are people who uh, have measured the energy cost of like really difficult chess matches. So, or there's other like weird psychological tests you can do, like you know, flip the shape, and is it this shape or that shape? And so, mental mental rotation tasks and these kind of things. And um, don't think about gorillas. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, oh no, I have to think about them. It's so hard not to. Exactly. Exactly. Um, like, don't overthink the dumbest thing you said yesterday. Oh, oh no. Uh, so right. So it turns out that um, as hard as you could ever possibly think. Um, versus not versus watching the Punisher. Let's say, um, it's about four four calories an hour difference. Wow! Yeah, one M M&M and M an hour. That that's is it. What? Yeah, because most of your brain is like making sure you digest your food properly oh, and like right, you don't choke right, on right, your right, spit. Right. And this like, is like you know, why a, why a sperm whale has this massive brain, yeah. but it, it has a massive body that it yeah. needs to regulate all sorts of. All exactly. sorts of body things that the brain is doing. Yeah, that we don't, yeah. We think of the brain and we're like, it's doing math and stuff like that. No. But no. You know, so uh, turns out that elephants have like way more neurons than we do, um, but they're all for the trunk. They're like almost all dedicated to really like 
um, delicate movements of the trunk. Worth it. Totally worth it. They are yeah. so good with that <laughs> trunk. Yeah. I mean, yeah. elephants are pretty pretty smart, just uh, ge- generally speaking, but trunk-wise, whoo. Yeah. Is... Nobody else. <laughs> Nobody else has even come close. I mean, you know, like human brains. I are... can kind of like wiggle my nose a little bit yeah. if I put a lot of effort into it. No, that's exactly <laughs> it. Like, we have big brains. We're like, okay, we're smart, you know, but other animals have big brains too. So we just are like, it's a question of degree. Whereas, like, there's nothing out there like a trunk. It's just yeah. completely different. Yeah. Completely different. Yeah. Uh, evolution. It, I know. It, it's, it's amazing. certainly figured out a lot of strange <laughs> ways to go about living a life. Yeah. Um, every every little nook and cranny that that evolution can work yeah. its way into. Um, so, so what? Uh, how? What was the trade? When, when did this occur that our brains got larger, and? How how did it happen in the first place? I get that, uh, yeah. you know, like, well, one that that our brain isn't just like coming up with smart things to say; it's doing <laughs> it's doing a lot of yeah. bodily function stuff. But um, but it's also to to evolve the for for the brain size to like get bigger, and then in like the. I, I'm kind of phrasing, I'm anthropomorphizing um, evolution so much in like the hopes of yeah, right. of like intelligence yeah. paying off in some yeah, way. Yeah, no, that's it right. just doesn't seem like, uh, it, you know, it, evolution can't think ahead that, that's right. that much to understand like, yeah. oh, well, we're going to we're gonna one day have rocket ships and understand physics and all this stuff. So then it will really pay off. Yeah. There needed to be some benefit immediately that's exactly right to evolve yeah evolution has a great memory but no plans right uh so um so here's the thing so it's, it's actually really interesting then to think about why so all evolution cares about all natural selection cares about anyway is how many babies you have mm-hmm. that's it that's like the final score end of the game that's all it really cares about and so if most you know you would expect that the, the most obvious thing that uh, a species would be selected to do with extra calories. So we find ourselves with these extra calories because we're getting our food in a smart way and sharing food. And we, okay, higher metabolic rates, what do you do with the extra calories? You make babies, right? And we do that to an extent. Um, we have babies more often than they're able to do. But we've also put all these calories, as you said, uh, into these huge brains. And so like, wh- why? There's no reason unless, unless the only way that makes sense is that Basically, every generation over the last two million years, we can we can debate whether this is still happening. But uh, over you know over the last two million years, individuals with that were smarter, it usually meant they had a bigger brain, were a little bit better at getting food, or a little bit better at, like navigating their social world, and you know all the weird things that humans do without even thinking about it. Um, and that's that was the advantage that made them have more kids. And so their kids, because you know your your parents were the big brain smart ones, you're the you're a big brain smart kid. And then and then the whole process starts again next generation, and the smart kids have more kids, and the smart you know smart kids grow up to be adults who have more kids, mm-hmm. and, and you keep incrementally uh, ratcheting it up. And so it's actually really shocking that we spend all this energy on brains and haven't just bet the whole farm on more kids because that's what you'd expect would happen yeah right um and so it's really telling i mean uh i don't know maybe that in my in my cynical 
I was going to say my cynical moments, but in my cynical existence, uh, my moments of not being cynical are that, well, maybe this big brand's going to, maybe it will pay off and we won't, you know, kill ourselves <laughs> on the planet. Um, that's, that's probably the, will. it probably will. Uh, <laughs> but you know, there's like, there's been all this investment in this and, um, we're like, we're built to be, we're built to be smart. Mm-hmm. So we could, maybe we could begin to act like it. Uh, well, I mean, it's sexy too. You got a lot of you got a lot of sexual selection going yeah, going on there. That's it right. seems like there's a lot of like unnecessary amount of just just within like our vocabulary. It, it yeah. seems like we could get by on less words. Yeah, and still convey pretty much the yeah. same yeah. things. But we 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 tend to um, kind of overdo. Well, you, you incur this cost on yourself by. By right. showing that you uh, you had the time to learn all these words that other people don't know. Right. Well, you know, it's like the internet, you know, when there were only like three computers somewhere in like, you know, at NORAD or the DOD connected up to the internet, it was a pretty bare bones operation. And now that you've got all these brands connected to the internet, there's like internet culture mm-hmm. and there's like layers of things and there's like websites that nobody cares about or goes to and like five different websites that do the same thing, but you like this one and not that one. And like, you know, they sort of this fluorescence of culture that's really just because instead of having three beings connected, you've got a billion beings connected. And now there's like all this stuff that happens, you know, I, I think that, you know, human culture is kind of the same way. Um, and you get a bunch of smart people, even if they don't seem that smart, and you get them working together and interacting and doing all the devious, fun stuff that people do. And, uh, and yeah, you get like all this completely unexpected stuff. We didn't evolve to play the violin, but we can, mm-hmm. right? Because it's just one of these things that, that emerges out of, uh, uh, being smart for other, other reasons. So, you know, can we like enjoy that stuff without, you know, we also didn't evolve our taste buds so that we could overeat and, and have diabetes and die. So like, you know, where do you find that like middle, I find that really interesting, actually, that kind of, how do you manage your own environment so that you take advantage of the intellectual creativity that's so much fun without like, you know, driving off a cliff. I don't know. Right. You know, the other thing with our evolved intelligence in our modern world, it's almost like, I don't know. In some ways we're almost too smart for our own good evolutionarily. I I feel like, let me use an example. So, I don't want to have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have, and I still have the same, uh, you know, the the triggers of the the big eyes or uh-huh. whatever, sure. and like the the worthless, like helpless baby. <laughs> like I get, I get that it's cute. <laughs> like I, I've still evolved uh-huh. those same, and, and most of these preferences, most of yeah. these emotional drives that we have are these evolved mechanisms meant mm-hmm. to motivate behaviors, which ultimately are supposed to lead to more offspring and more offspring right. in our offspring but we probably um along the way evolved an understanding to know that like hey these offspring are really costly so you don't <laughs> want to just necessarily have them willy-nilly right and so so the, the it is probably this kind of evolved like uh, i i don't really like kids that much that happened but now but it but it never really changed that much in the past it probably made you a little more selective with mates but you were still it didn't matter how much you hated kids you, you were <laughs> if you, you like were, sex if you like it sex you're still matter. gonna have them that's right and yeah. now we 
live in an era, in an era with birth control, yeah, where you can <laughs> have sex without having uh, having offspring, and and so this uh, this mechanism, which I'm speculating, of course, yeah. uh, uh, evolved to help us uh, just pause a little bit and and really yeah. understand the cost of these things is is now something that we are using to absolutely uh, to just not have kids and not pass these traits right. on and so that you know there's there's not going to be it's weird because there's not going to be a lot of me in the future. Like I'm an evolutionary <laughs> dead end. So and right, it, so right. and and many people that feel the same way about children that I do are going yeah. to be evolutionary dead ends. Yeah. And then our our people are. I mean, this is it got brought up last night and uh, on stand up science, and it's it's a it's a common question that people i know tons of very smart friends of mine that have kids but there again like i have a couple of my uh best friends in the world and they're and they're going to be fantastic parents and super Uh smart people but they had they they just had their first kid my friend's 38 years old right yeah this this is a this is a huge difference whereas people that aren't necessarily um factoring in the tremendous cost of offspring in our modern environment and instead are like babies yeah right have a bunch of them yeah yeah they're they're the ones that are passing on uh, that trait i know evolution works (laughs) exceptionally slowly but yeah but how i mean oh well i mean if you want we can get serious about that and unpack that for a second which is that you know for that to really be an evolutionary trend it would have to be the case that your decision to not have kids is actually due to something genetically about, you know, something about your genetics. Right, 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 right. As opposed to the fact that it's probably about the way you, you were brought up. And the reason I say that is all over the globe, when we bring people up in, um, you know, with education and with sort of, you know, the, whatever Western values are, I don't know anymore, but, um, and, and, and birth control, um, everybody kind of looks around and goes, yeah. I'll wait until I'm in my 30s, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I, we waited until we were in our 30s to have kids. Um, we never planned on having, like, you know, a lot. You know, we have two kids, so it's, like, plenty. Like the Duggar family. Exactly. Yeah, that. right? Um, but see, I think the Duggar family, those kids, um, if you raise that kid in, like, in a different cultural context, he's going to grow up and not want to have kids either. Right, right. right, right so it right, isn't right, that right, their right. genetics are making them I, like that. I understand, so yeah. it isn't going to change ours genetically to, to have people who want to have kids or, you know, that, that doesn't change the gene pool, I don't think. Sometimes I have a, you know, when I have an evolutionary anthropologist to say on yeah. on, the, on the podcast, I, my, my brain goes pure genes and, and evolution. <laughs> and I, I, for, I do forget about the environment a yeah. little bit. That's a very good point. Yeah, yeah. Well, and our brains make this culture, right? I mean, so it's not like it comes out of nowhere, but um, unless you're changing the gene pool, and you're probably not in your case. No offense, but not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> not taken. I don't, it doesn't, it's, I'm, yeah. I'm here for my own individual life experience. Yeah. That's, I'm going to milk this thing for whatever it's worth. <laughs> Self-preservation, baby. I'm all about it. I'm going to help out some people along the way too. But in terms of yeah. doing my genes bidding for them. No. No, thank you. I don't, uh, I, I, uh, 
they don't they don't even know that I'm here. They're not they're not conscious. They don't even understand this thing that they've constructed. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and so so I yeah, I I'm not uh it, it doesn't it, in terms of I I have thought about donating sperm sometimes and I'm, <laughs> when I'm like, oh, it's about passing the deeds uh, up. Blah, yeah, blah. I've, yeah. I've gone down that, that rabbit hole yeah. a little bit, but uh, I, nah. I, well. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, all right. Well, uh, before I, um, because I, I'm not even going to bother setting up. I'll, I'll wait. To, speaking of, uh, I made a joke about self-preservation, uh-huh. but but one of the one of the great things about about humans, you talked a lot about how um, humans share yeah. better than any other species mm-hmm. out there. You're you're mentioning that last night, where uh, I forget kind of what you said is is right uh, regarding so, you know, food. So um, you know, what, one of the reasons that we're able to have these high metabolic rates is that we, you know, humans share, right? So it's not, humans are from a hunting and gathering line for 2 million years. And, you know, it's hunting and gathering. It's not hunting or gathering, right? So, you know, we, you hunt and I gather and we share our resources at the end of the day. And that means that, you know, if I come home empty-handed, you, you got me. And if I come home, if you come home empty-handed, I got you. Um, and that means that nobody ever goes hungry. And so the, the it's like the synergy of that is that um, we actually get way more calories per day. We can depend on more calories per day than we would if we were just all out there on our own. Um, and you know, that, that doesn't seem like such a big deal now that you can kind of like go to the supermarket and get a million calories, you know, for a buck, but for over 2 million years of getting your own food out of the landscape, that's, that's a really big deal. Uh, and so, yeah, so we're all built to share. So, you know, you, you've never had, you've never had a big event in your life. I would bet you that didn't involve like sharing some food, a barbecue or a birthday cake or something like that. Right. And like eating is like this communal fun thing. Um, you know, like kids share their lunches at school. I mean, you know, chimps, um, again, with the testicles, they, they don't like to share. Yeah. It's yeah. probably one of my favorite things about being in a relationship is getting to have <laughs> two different meals and right. sharing and sampling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sampling. And like, you know, and it's actually changed the way that humans like live our lives. Right. So like I've got these two little kids at home that are completely, completely useless. I mean, they can't feed themselves. They can't, you know, look after themselves. Um, and so part of my deal but one every day, day, they're going to watch out. They're going yeah, to, no, I, I got no delusions about that. but, uh, uh, you know, but so I, I take like, I'm going to go home today and on my way home, I'm going to stop at a supermarket and I'm going to buy food for these kids. Uh-huh. Right. What the hell? Well, like six, they're six, they're seven and four years old. In any other species, they would be like feeding themselves. But I'm right. like, oh no! I mean, I wouldn't even cross my mind that like they have to. They're in first grade and preschool. Like, of course, they can't feed themselves. Well, that they should. Any other species would at four years old and six years old, they'd be like su- successful adults. You got you know? at least another twelve years yeah, of to like go. feeding these freeloading individuals and then yeah maybe paying for their college after that yeah and they, yeah i mean we could they might either be too dumb that it doesn't matter or too smart <laughs> to get scholarships so, so it's that it's that, that middle ground that's the dangerous <laughs> thing <laughs> or and then they move back in with you because oh, they God. got a history degree oh boy um, yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, but this is this is this is a, a real contrast to any other no uh, other species, species out this, there, right? Yeah. And uh, it, I mean, uh, I get off on all sorts of 
interesting tangents. It's not that much of a tangent, but what what about hunter gatherers? Are are the are the kids as? Uh, oh yeah, they're useless. Totally useless. useless. Yeah, you go to yeah. a hunting and gathering camp. Okay, so you go to you go there. You roll up in your Land Cruiser, and like a bunch of kids like run over like. Hey! How you doing? And we, I work with this guy Brian Wood, who's at UCLA. Who's like a Hadza world expert. He's like lived the better part of his life in Hadza camps the last ten years, um, twenty years now. And uh, and they like they know Brian and they love Brian. They like name their kids after Brian. And so you know you get out. It's like it's like rolling in with uh, you know uh, I, I have I have a zero pulp, a celebrity. I, I was trying to do a cultural reference and I I don't I don't have any <laughs> good. Uh, <laughs> Oh, you don't watch Punisher? No, wait, no, it's like rolling up with the Punisher. I guess is that good? I don't know. Sure. Um, it's like rolling up with Shane Mouse. Um, I'm like, wow, Brian, and, and so, but you're so like you. We we hang out in this camp and we set up our tents and like we we like. Do you mind if we live here for a while? Oh, no problem. They'd love to have us. Um, and but your day, your entire day, if you're in camp, like doing like setting up scientific stuff, uh, is just. It's it's you and any other scientific researchers that are in camp with you and a dozen kids because mm-hmm. they're all just hanging out at camp and they're bored or they're like off playing games or running around or like beating each other up or laughing whatever the kids do. Um, it's like it's like imagine if there was an elementary school and then all the it's like structure and adults just left like mm-hmm. Lord of the Flies kind of style. Only really they're actually really cute and fun, but um, but they're kids and so they just run around and they just get in your stuff and. And they're not, they don't feed themselves. They don't feed them, like it's, they're 15. This has been really well studied, actually. They don't, they're not feeding themselves until they're about 16 or 17 years old, which is not that different. No. Then, you know. No, yeah. I had I had jobs when I was right. like 12 years old. I yeah. started doing some part-time stuff Yeah, with so my it's, dad. it's exactly the same stuff. So like at 12 years old, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to go. Look, I shot a giraffe yesterday and... You know, we're hoping the poison works and he's going to find him dead. And, you know, dad's going to go out, look for the giraffe. Come on, you know. <laughs> and uh, and so, I've been, yeah, that's, I've, I've been on days like that. And like, you know, your job was like to walk along. Don't mess it up. Be quiet. Uh, and if you find the giraffe, you're like you're going to wear as much of that giraffe as you can, like a backpack and walk home. Mm. That's your that's the day. Wow. Yeah. And I, I imagine the kids are screwing up the uh, like the hatchet <laughs> and the spear. They're always mixing up which one's which and yeah. the dad's yelling at them for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, now I'm truly just projecting my own experience. Yeah, they're actually really competent, the kids, which is uh, – so we uh, we set up a uh, arrow shooting competition once because we wanted to look at the mechanics of, of arrow shooting there because oh. we also do some biomechanics, which is fun. Um, and so all the guys, you know, like the adult men were out hunting – that's what they do all day. And we were in camps. We'd just set up some other metabolic thing that was going to be for tomorrow. And we had some time for like, hey, let's do a shooting competition. Wouldn't that be cool? And we'll like, and we'll measure them shooting their bows and we'll, we'll see what that's like. So um, we set up this target that was like as big as a, as a half gallon milk container carton, right? And we put it, let's say, like 20 yards away from a line that we drew. And we're like, that's impossible to hit. And the kids shoot a little kids came up with their like little toy bows that their dads had made them and just started hitting the thing like every time thunk, 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 and like laughing at us thinking yeah. that, that was hard to hit um we're like holy shit so we had to like move it twice as far away and then the kids couldn't hit it anymore and then when the dads all got home they're like hey who set up the target you know and we're like well 
if you know, and we had a little competition and we didn't even need to like, I think we had some little trophy, like a little, um, a coffee tin. That's like a really nice metal container that was empty. We're like, you know, just kind of as a joke, but it was also useful. Like, <laughs> Hey, whoever wins, you get the tin. And they're like, sweet. They didn't care. They just want to like a bet among themselves and like have fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like a really fun day, but yeah, those guys, you know, like 50 yards away, they'd take you out. No problem. Wow. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, the reason why I I brought up well, one of the reasons why I brought up sharing and this abnormal amount of altruism yeah. in, in our human species, and I can be the reason I do this is I I can I can be a cynical uh, person. <laughs> um, probably why you and I get along so well. You have you have a little bit of a yeah. cynical side in there. Just, yeah. You got a you got a dash of it. Uh, I like that. I I can, I can smell my own. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh but i mean as far i i look around and i see what makes humans spe- uh, special and it and it seems like um cooperation is something that we are tremendous at and it's mm-hmm. gotten us a long ways yeah. and i i think a lot about our evolutionary mismatches with our modern environment mm-hmm. and it seems like we're becoming more and more isolated and not cooperating on in some regards we're able to like get online and cooperate yeah. on these massive global levels but the point is um i, I try to encourage that as much as possible and so i have my guests each week plug a nonprofit of their choice do you have one in mind yeah so um there's a bunch of great uh, science supporting organizations out there and they're all a lot of them are fantastic the one i love is the national center for science education ncse.org um, and you can make donations there and they support um the teaching of, you know, the teaching of good science across the U.S. Um, so when you see, you know, they're trying to, you hear in the news, oh, Louisiana's trying to kick evolution out of the school curriculum and teach creationism, or, you know, some other states trying to take climate change out of the, you know, the science curriculum, um, NCSE is out there, you know, they hire the lawyers and they get the experts in and they do the work and they try to, to stop that stuff um, and support really good, um, just solid science education at the high school level. Um, and, you know, they're the ones fighting the good fight. And if there's anybody who, who deserves your charity, um, I donate to them. I love them. Um, and anybody else should, too. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is a science podcast. Uh, I hope my listeners appreciate the importance of science yeah. and how much help science needs in every regard. We all need to be supporting it, talking about it, sharing it with others. Uh, we live in a world where uh, the. Uh, I mean. <laughs> The president of the United oh, States, the leader yeah. of uh, the leader of the free world. This is this is the the uh, the, the top <laughs> spot in the hierarchy of humanity. Yeah, is uh, speaking of idiocracy is is this guy who who says like, well, if global warming's a thing, why is today cold? Yeah. and <laughs> like regularly says things like yeah. that. Um, yeah. what are, oh. uh, <laughs> what, uh, uh, speaking of cynicism, cause we touched on this a little bit last night at Stand Up science and I love like a real dark little, uh, exploration of the potential <laughs> extinction of, yeah. Of, yeah. of our planet, but mostly because I want to know, like, but I mean, People go back and forth with this. I go back and forth all the time in my yeah. mind. Like I was, I was just reading um, 
uh, uh, Steven Pinker's Enlightenment Now. Oh, yeah. I, I had him on uh, Stand Up Science a, nice. a, a week ago. Yeah. And um, and it's, it's a very... If there's anyone out there that's like... Uh, bummed out by cynicism and you want to you want a more optimistic view of the future yeah it's a pretty it's a pretty pragmatic and, and intelligent uh take on on how things seemingly are continuing to get better for for humans yeah. but uh but we were talking uh, i i hey i <laughs> i read it he was like well you make some good points but i don't know yeah uh, right but, right but then we have all, all these evolved negativity biases yeah that's true else. that's true so, yeah. you know. factfulness another oh another good one just to plug a quick thing there's a book out there called factfulness um god i can't remember the guy's name he's some norwegian dude and he, and he died of pancreatic cancer so um I don't know why that matters. Although uh, it's factfulness, and it's it's also about it's about negativity bias mm-hmm. and how things actually are getting better. Fewer people are in poverty now that have ever been in poverty. People are living longer yeah. now that have ever lived longer. And um, so, right, yeah. So maybe mm-hmm. you know, maybe we're just a bunch of negative negative Nellies. Nellies, anyway. Yeah, and um, I I think it also might be that that we evolved in a world with X number of real. Uh, threats chimps ripping testicles off right. that sort of thing yeah and now in the absence of those threats are we have uh, our detection device yeah. like the supervisor in our heads going like why aren't you detecting threats we better increase the sensitivity <laughs> to yeah. threats yeah. until we are seeing x number of threats in our yeah. now overly safe environment and so we're kind of making up these threats but one threat that seems glaring to me, mm-hmm. uh, I, I mentioned it last night, you look at things that have the rate of growth that humanity has had, this right. exponential growth where you look at this chart of population growth and all of a sudden it just shoots upwards. Yeah. You, you get the, the some species figures out how to take advantage of some exceptionally fruitful environment for whatever reason mm-hmm. you have. What is it like carp or something that got introduced into the environment that oh, or yeah, catfish yeah. maybe that, yeah. that all of a sudden are like taking over everywhere and yeah. you can't stop these things and yeah. and uh, and and they have this huge spike in population numbers. Typically, that story does not end very. <laughs> it's a real yeah. good run for yeah. a little while, and then a real sharp drop drop yeah. off into extinction. What do you think? What, what we uh, what are we looking at? You think humans are going to be kicking around for uh, for some time, or I think are we'll we hang on ourselves into trouble. I think we'll hang on. I think for me, the question is: Is it going to be this kind of really sad, grim world that, like, you know, all the really cool animals that we grow up and you know want to go to the zoo and see are all dead because right. we've driven them all extinct and um you know and like you have to eat soylent green because you know we've we've polluted the planet to where we can't really grow food and uh first I, off i'll eat people i'm fine with it i just want yeah. to know if i'm gonna live testicles first, Sean, <laughs> testicles first sorry that's all right uh so you know the the it's um i think the question is not do we all die i think I just think humans are just too good at reproducing to really let that happen. But, um, and I don't think it's going to be like dystopian, like the road, Cormac McCarthy kind of stuff. Ooh, that's a great movie. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. I think, you know, the future, it looks like, um, like these kind of sprawling, boring, you know, urban spaces that are just gross and, and there's no real wildlife and people don't have any real connection to being outside and kids are, you know, I think like, it it's it's even worse 
than going out like, you know, going out like some kind of 1970s rock and roll band, like, woohoo! And like, you know, all the next day we're all yeah. done. Um, I think it's like grim. I think we end it like, you know, like 1990s pop music and we're just grim and sad. Yeah. We're just it's wheezing. just like a cubicle apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you, you're alive, but you don't want to be. And, and, and the really grim idea thing is, you know, uh, or maybe this will just save us is that the sun is going to go through heat death in like a couple billion years. Mm-hmm. So smoke them if you got them because, yeah. you know, well, that gives us some time. We might yeah, be able to get we out might, there and find we might some more sense. We might figure it out. Yeah, that's a, a billion years is a long time. I'll give you that. Yeah. Uh, well, all right. Well, thank you for spending your time yeah. with me, Herman Ponser. Super on fun. Show. This is a terrific conversation. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week. Next week on the Here We Are podcast, I'm going to be talking with Kristen Hook about, drum roll please, sperm competition. Who doesn't like hearing about sperm competition? If you happen to be listening to this show and you're like a new listener or something like that, it's a subject we haven't talked about in some time, maybe maybe even since the first year or two of the show, uh, and maybe you're just hearing the term sperm competition for the first time oh my goodness guys you are really in for a treat next week make sure and tune in and if you know about sperm competition you already know it's going to be a fantastic conversation so you're already going to be tuning in so i'm uh, excited to talk to you guys more then again check out micro meditations i'm i'm forming more and more partnerships that are a better fit for this show trying to get rid of uh some of the um some of the uh, sponsorships that, that are less of a fit and trying to find more fitting things. One, Myco Meditations. Obviously, I'm a psychedelic advocate. Legal psilocybin retreats are something that I advocate for and are possible in Jamaica. So, uh, doing those in January, a special uh, January Here We Are retreat with Myco Meditations, January 18th to 25th. And uh, you can check out Libro.fm to support your local bookstore with your audiobook purchases and put in offer code here we are to support me and get three months for the price of one. All the same audiobooks of other companies for the same price, but instead supporting your local bookstore. And uh, so that's a wonderful thing and i'm having i know there's one other thing that i'm supposed to mention here oh i'm i'm working on i'm so excited about these and i hope they come through because i am working on some other um big partnership opportunities that has more to do with uh promoting education and doing kind of interesting content boy i sure hope it comes through i'm gonna be real excited to tell you about it next week if it does but um, for now, I just know that I'm, I'm working hard to provide better partnerships that make more of a fit um, so you guys don't have to listen to the uh, same like um, copy reads and everything else. shouldn't even be saying this right now, but uh, ju- just know that I'm, I'm trying to find better and better fits out there. And also, um, 
uh, check out my website, shanemoss.com. Look for dates. We'll be updating very soon. Thank you, those of you that listen all the way to the end. You are, of course, my favorites.